All right, we want to continue um, focus on discipleship and fulfilling the mandate of the church and the reason for us being here, not only as individual believers, but as the church of Jesus Christ. I want to remind you again, we are here for one overall purpose, and that's to glorify God by fulfilling his purpose for us as individuals and for the church as a whole. I want to remind you again of our diagram because I believe that this diagram, which you've seen again and again, it um, describes in a nutshell, if you want, in a very capsule form, exactly why we're here and how we are to accomplish our purpose and mission. We're here to glorify the triune God. As a body, we are to do this by completing the ministry of Jesus Christ on earth. We do this by evangelizing the lost and discipling believers to Christ's likeness. Actually, we can just say to disciple people towards Christ's likeness. How do you do this? By providing members of the church with opportunities for a personal encounter with the triune God through worship, the word of God through instruction, the people of God through fellowship, and the world God loves through evangelism. It's easy for you to remember those four I, uh, areas by remembering wife, worship, instruction, fellowship, and evangelism. And it's a cycle that continues. People are one to Christ so that they can be disciple in such a way so they win people as well. And that's how it continues. Now tonight, to begin, I want to give you what I call evangelism 101. Now you know if you go to college or to a, a school, if you have a subject 101, that's the beginning. That's the basics, right? That's the basics of the subject. Evangelism 101. I want us to remember the basics. Let me give you some important, let me give an illustration of the importance of the basics. For those of you who are familiar with football, there was a coach named John Wooden. The Green Bay Packers, I think, for a while. He used to begin most of his training uh, sessions by telling, or before actually, telling his men to bring their socks and the shoes with them. And of course, the people always wonder, what in the world? We're going to be studying football. Why do we have to bring our shoes and our socks? So he would always begin the session saying, okay, now, fellas, get out your socks, and I want you to... I want, you, I want you to watch me how to put your socks on. Because I can't believe this. You come here, we big husky man, football players, you want to tell us how to put on socks? He says, yes, because I want you to be sure that there are no creases in your socks when you put them on. Not only that, when you put them on, here's how you tie your shoes. Here's how you lace them up, and here's how you tie them. I don't want you to tie them too tight, and I don't want you to tie them too loose. Because at the end of the season... We have lost men because they have blisters on their feet or because they tripped over their laces when they're running and they lost their scores and so on. So I want you to bring your socks and your shoes. So you know how to fold your socks so there are no creases in them and you put them on and how, how to tie your shoes. Now that's basics. But he said without you following those basic instructions, you could lose the game. In fact, you could even get out of the game altogether because of a bad feat or whatever it is. He says, because not only do you know how to play the game, but you have to be fit and able 
to play the game as well. Now, there was another famous football coach. His name is Vince Lombardi. In fact, they have a trophy now that's been going on for years. He was the most winning coaches in history of football, they said. And he always began his sessions and training with the men by holding up a football. And he would say to the man, man, look at me, man, look at me, see this? That's a football. Now these are men that have been playing football for some time or know what football is. This is the football, it's made out of pig skin. He says, here's how you hold it. And he told them to hold it. Here's how you throw it. And he goes through the whole motion with them. And again, the fellow says, yeah, we know this is a football. He says, yeah, you might know it's a football, but do you know what to do with it? He says, if you catch that football, make sure you run through the right goal post. Because no matter how fast a runner you are, if you run through the your opposing team's goal post, that would, not be, that would not be a score for you. And he says, we don't want to move the goal posts. I want here is how the field is set up. And he'll go, here's where we are. Here's where they are. When you get the ball, you go towards this way. Then they get the ball, they come the other way. Do not carry the ball across the goal of your opposing team's uh, goal line. They were basic things that had to be known. Now, what I want to do for you tonight when we talk about evangelism is to uh, remind you of something. The mission of the church is not to make converts, but to make disciples. The mission of the church is not to make converts, but to make disciples. You say, well, you cannot have disciples without converts. That might be true. But still, the mission, the basic mission is to make disciples, not converts. Because when you make disciples, the disciples make the converts. All right? Something else for the basic. The mandate of the church is not to make decisions, to have people make decisions, but rather to make disciples. Here's another basic rule. The invitation of the gospel in the New Testament is never to invite people to make a profession, but to trust Jesus Christ as Savior. You don't count professions. You count people who are living for Christ. These can, that is, the profession and trust in Jesus can be and have been confused by Christians. They've moved the goalposts, in other words. They're running towards the wrong goal, and so they have no score. All right? So I want you to say, see this? See this? This is the Bible. The mandate is make disciples, not make converts, not make decisions, not make professions, but to make disciples. See this? That's the Bible. That's the goal line you work for. If you accomplish the other goals that you have, you will not be fulfilling the mandate of the church. All right? How then is CV, how then is Calvary Bible Church doing this? How, what are we doing to fulfill this mandate to make sure we're going through the proper goals, the goals set up by Christ and not by man? And I'm afraid that's what happened. We've moved the goalposts. We've changed the basics. All right? Remember this. The desired product in our ministry is the result of going through the proper process. The only way you can have a product that you want to have is you will go through the proper process for developing that. Isn't that basic? There must be a proper process to come up with the proper product. All right? 
Now, um, that means we must know the product. What is it that we need to do? That's why we have to go by the Bible and not by what man says. This is a Bible. This is where we get our basic rules from. We must follow the process as given in the scriptures, not as devised by man. Now, let's see how we try to do that here at Calvary Bible Church, because sometimes, although we have tried to explain it in the past, perhaps it is not being done adequately enough. When new members come into our church, whether through conversion or coming in from another church, when we have new members to become a part of Calvary Bible Church, we put them through what we call what? Membership classes, right? Now, what do we, now before that, we encourage new people before they apply for membership to be here for at least six months, preferably one year before they apply for membership. We want them to become acquainted with our people, find out what we believe, to find out what we do, to make sure that they are fit. Because we are, we emphasize that they must fit into the congregation because we are a body and we have a role to play the way God has designed us. So we ask you to wait for at least six months or a year before you apply for membership. Then when you do apply and you, uh, you attend the membership classes, we go into the history of the church, how we got here. There are many people today who believe that Calvary Bible Church was started because of a split, that Pastor Reach caused a split in Evangelistic Temple. And that's how Calvary Bible Church was started. That's not exactly true. I tried to uh, deal with that when we had the um, 50th anniversary, remember? Because listen, if it's one reason, good biblical reason for leaving a fellowship and going to another, is if there's a doctrinal problem. And there's a doctrine that you feel that you cannot live out and please and honor Christ. That's one of the things I believe that fits in for a proper reason for leaving a church. If doctrine you believe is contrary to the word of God. All right? And I believe that was the basis there. So we tell about our history. So they get a feel for knowing what's going on. Then we discuss the government of the church. How we operate. We try to explain what it means to have a plurality of leaders who share same authority and have shared responsibilities in the ministry. Why some should be doing this, others should be doing that, and so on. We try to explain that to them. Then we talk about doctrine, what we believe. We go to the doctrinal statement. We want to be sure that every new person understands what Calvary Bible Church stands for. And we also try to show or emphasize that there is a difference between essentials and non-essentials. There's some doctrine that you must hold to that we believe. If you don't hold to it, you cannot be a member. The deity of Christ, the, the, uh, that salvation is based on faith alone, in Christ alone, and, and so on. Those are essential doctrines. Things such as should you speak in tongues, or uh, is it pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib? Those things are important, but they're not essential for fellowship. You understand what I'm saying? So we try to explain that, but we understand, hey, but this is what we teach. We teach this about speaking in tongues. We teach this about the pre-trib and the mid-trib and so on. However, those are not basic reasons for eliminating people from fellowshipping as the people of God. 
So we try to distinguish before essentials and non-essentials. Many times when people cause divisions or leave a church is over non-essentials rather than essentials. They're moving the goalposts. You understand what I'm saying? It's a very important thing. Then we talked about spiritual gifts. This is where your fit into the assembly comes. We believe in the sovereignty of God. If this is a body, then each part has to play as limbs of that body, as members of that body. And you need to know whether you are a nose, a toe, a hand, a foot, or whatever it is. And so we go through the gifts and try to explain what the gifts are. Then we try to see if we could fit you into a ministry here where you can exercise that gift. And what we do is to say now, Pastor Wendy Fowler is the head of this ministry that you feel that you are gifted in. I want you to go and talk to Pastor Wendy. Then I'll go to Pastor Wendy, say, Pastor Wendy, um, Brenda has just come into the church, and she, is, is in, she believes that this is her gift. And after we've gone through the inventory, because we have a process that helps them find us out, we want you to contact them as well. Now, from that point on, of course, it's up to the individuals and the leader to make sure that they continue there. And perhaps this is a weak area as far as our procedure is concerned. Perhaps that follow-up is not being done the way it should be done. Perhaps we're leaving too much of the responsibility on the person rather than the leader. All right? They're also assigned to a mini-church. And I can explain that, the reason for them. They are assigned to a mini-church. They, they don't say, I want to join this mini-church or this group here. We assign them to a mini-church. Uh, now, of course, when it comes to deal, we also assign them or encourage them to attend a discovery class, and I'm going to tell you the reason for that in a moment as well. But that's how we try to incorporate new members. Now, you say, what about old members, people who are already here? Well, all we can do is encourage them to participate in this procedure, in the mini-church and in the discovery class. We can't force them. You can't say, if you don't do this, then you cannot become a member. At least not yet. <clears throat> I'm not saying that anything. But it's up to the individuals to participate. Because remember now, unless you become a part of the process, you won't be a part of the finished product either. Either you might have a product, but it wouldn't be the product that it is designed based upon what we believe to be the word of God to make true disciples. All right? So that's how we go about there. Let me talk about the discovery classes now and show you the reasons for this, how it is designed, how these classes are designed to help you to grow towards spiritual maturity. But I emphasize, the only way that the process could really be effective is if you take part. If you don't, it won't help you at all. No matter how much you know about it, it won't. you've got to take part if you are going to come out to be the finished product. Now, book one. Discovering the Christian life. This is a study of foundational truths of Christian living. This is we talk about the plan of salvation, exactly what it means to be saved, the importance of baptism, and uh, how to read your Bible, how to pray, and all of those things, those basic things of the Christian life. I'll never forget, Sister Weish was here when we first started this some years ago. And she came to me after and said, Pastor Lee, I've been a saved for so many years. But I got so much out of that class, it's just amazing. She talked especially about baptism, says, I learned some things about baptism that I'd never known before. Isn't that amazing? For a woman like her, who's been in a ministry for so many years, to say that. And as we'll see, it didn't come because somebody was preaching it or teaching it. 
themselves, but came because of the input of the body as a whole. Because what we're trying to develop is a relationship. You see, a relationship. And this is important when you come to the cycling, because the cycling has to do with establishing a relationship. Relationship with God and relationship with the people of God. And so these 12 lessons in this first book has to do with establishing the believer in the faith. We talk about the assurance of salvation, all right? All of those things are discussed in that beginning. Then when they finish those 12 lessons in that book, they're to move on to discovering intimacy with God. This is a study of how to deepen one's relationship with God. I mean, we go into quiet time, Bible study, and all of these different things. Talking about how to discover intimacy with God. This is a process. You go from one level to another. It's a sense going from glory to glory. Growing as a disciple is not a one-time thing. It's an ongoing process. And it doesn't only have to do with time. It has to do with what you do with your time. There's some Christians who have been saved for 20 or 25 years. They're still not mature in the faith. Because although they have time, they don't have quality as far as the time is concerned. Yet you have other believers come in. And because they spend time in process like this, they are more mature than people who have been saved much longer than they are. So it's not only time, it's what you do with your time. It's how you make, how you process. See, this has to do with growing a Christian. You, you know, many of you are parents. Think about the first child you had. Did you take that baby when you first had it and says, take him to the kitchen? Okay, say, now here's the fridge, here's the stove. Prepare your own food. Did you do that? No. You prepared it for them and you gave them that. But as it went on, you allowed them to do things themselves. Isn't that right? The same thing is true of the Christian life. And we're going to see that as we go on. But then when you finish those 12 lessons, you go on to book three, discovering your role in God's family. This is a study of God's purpose for the believer in the local church. This is when we talk again about ministry. This is when we talk about gifts and how you are to fit into the different ministries of the church. And again, this is very important because this is where we're trying to show where you fit in as a member of the body of Christ. Why, where do you have the best opportunity to exercise the gift that God has given you that will edify and build up the church? Because the church is to be built up by the members themselves. Listen carefully now. You cannot grow to spiritual maturity by only attending Sunday morning, Sunday night. In fact, you'll never mature in that fashion. You'll never mature in that fashion. You have to develop a relationship with the people of God. You are able to share with one another gifts. That's the only way you can grow. No matter how many Sundays you come faithfully to 11 o'clock or 6.30, you will not grow to maturity. You'll be preached at and everything else, but you will not grow. You yourself have to be involved. You have to be sharing in the life of others as well as others sharing into your life. Then the fourth book and the final one in this particular series is discovering how to share your faith. This has to do with what we call aggressive or intentional evangelism. This is a study of biblical evangelism and how to share one's faith in a non-threatening way. And what we try to emphasize here is not that evangelism is only going around knocking on the door and giving out a track, 
or going down Bay Street or Wolf Road and giving out tracts. Those are good. But one of the basic ways for doing evangelism what we call as lifestyle evangelism. It's the way you live, how you show love. We talked about that this morning. And so all of these classes are built to grow, to show growth from one level to another. And on, all through it, you, deliver, you, you, you and I'll explain why, you are developing a relationship with one another. And that's how the body grows, by receiving in edification because of the gifts God has given to one another. As you've heard me say over and over again, the gift that God has given you is not for you. Your gift is for me, and my gift is for you. And that's what we try to do in these classes, all right? All of these, I say again, are designed to build relationship, not just to give information, not just to give a bunch of facts. You see, we could learn about all kinds of theology, ecclesiology, uh, soteriology, Christology, pneumatology. We could talk about all of those things. We can get all kinds of facts, but we can't grow just by having those facts, those information. It's got to be lived out in the context of a fellowship with the people of God and with the world. All right? Now, there are three vital ingredients that are involved in the discovery classes. But let me em emphasize again, unless you take part of the process, you will never be the product that is designed to bring forth. All right? But I can guarantee that if you do and you are faithful in it, you will come out to the desired product that we have in the Word of God. Here are three vital ingredients or aspects that you must know. We have facilitators who facilitate discussion, not lecture, not preach, or otherwise dominate the discussion. In other words, it's not a class where one individual takes it over and just spouts out what he knows or what he thinks. But it's the input from all of the believers, everyone. So the second point is here. Participants who study the lessons and complete the assigned questions at home. So the idea is you'll be given this manual and you read the first chapter and there's some things for you to do before you come to the class. You are to read the scriptures, you are to look at the issue that is presented and we give you other writings that deal with it. And When you go through this, you yourself make notes of questions, come uh, or how the insights that you have. So when you come, you'll be able to share with people what you've learned they'll be able to share what they have learned. You might find correction in something that you have done through other people. And then third element here, it's the participants who participate in discussion. You just don't come and sit and listen. I hope you listen anyway. Sometimes people sit and don't listen. Their mind's every place else. But the idea is we are sharing this together. And it's not we come together as a group and we share ignorance. You know, we have a lot of people, group, and they say we come to share, but they only share ignorance because they haven't done any preparation, they haven't done any study. So it's one ignorant person talking to another ignorant person. And that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for people who are informed concerning the things we're talking about. All right? That's three vital ingredients with the discovery process. And so it is an interactive process. It is not learning in isolation or listening to a lecture, but learning through interactive discussion with other well-informed group participants. Now, to be effective here, this process demands three other vital elements. 
and each of the discovery course encourages the participants to be involved with their head, their heart, and their hands. Head, heart, and hands. Each lesson, this is relating to the head now, the intellect, each lesson is built around theological, biblical reflection. You have passages of scripture, you have something that describes the biblical truth taught by that passage. Members are then asked to grapple with the pertinent issue. Each lesson has an issue that we work with. It could be eternal security, it could be fellowship, it could be how to deal with a problem, how to resolve conflicts, but each book has an issue, each week has an issue. And you study the scriptures for yourselves. You read the meaningful articles on the subject that are included, and then you formulate your own conclusions. Group discussion encourage further reflection and refining of a particular biblical truth. This process helps participants to develop a Christian worldview. And this is what we're trying to develop through these discovery classes, a Christian worldview. But it only comes about if you faithfully participate and do what's supposed to be done. If you don't go through the process, you won't come out to the finished product. That's the head. But then the heart. The participant is asked to form a response to what you're studying. This is where you individually apply God's truth to your lives. And in some cases, some of the richest times has been when people share the testimony of how God has spoken them through a passage. And I think that's what happened with Sister Weesh. And I was so humbled by that. And a woman like that would come and say that she learned so much from this beginning class now. This was in the end class. This was book one, lesson one. And she was blessed. Secondly, group discussions are opportunities to encourage one another to apply the truth that they learned. Accountability is encouraged. In other words, we encourage you to follow up. If people say, I'm going to do this. Next week or during the week, you call the person up. Did you do it? There's a sense of accountability. This is where relationship is developed that cannot be developed in a setting like this, but only in a setting like the discovery classes and the mini church. This also creates an environment for character development to take place. And this is the main thing, character development where we become more Christ-like, we become more open with one another, more honest. We feel free in talking and relating to one another. This is what the discovery classes are designed to do. Then the hands. Each lesson concludes with an opportunity to take steps to obey. When you go through the lessons, you do all your study, do all your reading and your everything else, it comes back, how do you apply it to your life? Discovery then is all about life transformation through spiritual growth based on or as a result of obedience to the word of God as enabled by the Holy Spirit. That's the process. And I say to you again, I guarantee you, if you go through the process, the product will be a true disciple. Now, the learning process is built on four or five principles of study. You grasp the issue, whatever it may be. You understand what the issue is. You study the scriptures that deal with the issue. You look at other sources, what other people have said, other than the Bible concerning this issue, Bible scholars, Bible teachers. Then you form a response based on that. And then when you come to class, you share with others what you've learned and what you plan to do steps to obey as a result of that, all right? What is the end result? 
spiritual maturity, Christ-likeness, a true disciple, able to give an answer for the hope that is in you, and you're equipped into every good work, and it's all for the glory of God. That's the process, and that's how discovery fits into it. So let me go over our mission again to show you how we're trying to do this. In other words, what we're doing is not just blindly putting certain subjects or projects together. It has a purpose if you see it and you understand it. Our mission to glorify God by completing the ministry of Jesus Christ on earth, by evangelizing the lost, discipling believers toward Christ-likeness. How do we do this? By providing members with opportunities for personal encounter with the word of God, with the word of God, through the triune God, rather, through worship, through the word of God, through instruction, through the people of God, through fellowship, and to the world by evangelism. And that is done, we fulfill the command of Christ. Here's another way of looking at it. Worship comes first. True discipleship comes out of our relationship with God. You see, if we start from evangelism with the world, we will never have the finished product because we're starting from the wrong end. You don't start with the need of people. You start with the demand or the command of God. Worship leads to instruction in the word of God. Instruction involves fellowship with the people of God. And then as a result of that, the people of God reaches out to the world. And then the process continues. That's how it starts. But we got to be sure we have the goals in the right place. And I am convinced that for the most part, the church have moved the goals. They start with evangelism, not with the relationship with God. And that's why we have our problems. All right, let me talk about the mini church again. Because this is a design for the same reason, all right? To give you an opportunity to establish relationships with the, God, with the people of God in an appropriate setting, an appropriate area. All right, let's take a look at it then. Principles of Calvary Bible Church, mini church, evangelistic outreach. I designed this particular one to focus on the evangelistic emphasis, although that's not the only emphasis. It's edification, it's worship, instruction. Everything that is done in the big church is to be done in the mini church, but only in the situation where relationships are established, all right? The mini church is a small group of members of the incredible body of Christ at Calvary who are under the guidance of a qualified leader, all leaders who meet together on a regular basis for edification and evangelism. That's the overall idea. All right? Let's go to the other one, Alan. The ideal number of adult members in the mini church is 10 through 15. Now that varies because we're talking about the ideal here. This is small enough for the leaders to become acquainted with all of the people on an intimate basis and to give them time to spend with individuals who need counseling and discipleship. The group is also large enough to enable the people in it to know a number of other people who attend Calvary on a more in-depth basis because that's what we're trying to develop, in-depth relationships centered on the person of Christ. The mini church is a miniature church and therefore is designed to serve the same purpose traditionally ascribed to the larger church or the big church. 
The New Testament teaches that there are two overall core purposes for the existence of the church. Edification, that's when the church is gathered, and evangelism, that's when the church is scattered. Now remember I say, I talked about moving the goalposts. This is where many churches have moved the goalposts. They have brought evangelism into the church, when evangelism is supposed to be done outside the church. When I first came here, I don't know if they're still up there. I think, Charlie, you all might have put it up. Remember you all had a sign up there? Enter to what? Leave to do what? Serve. That is the true thing. You enter to worship and you leave to serve as far as evangelism is concerned. The church scattered is to do evangelism. The church gathered is to do edification. We have moved the goalposts. We're trying to make evangelism the major reason for meeting. That's not biblical. That's contrary to scripture, in fact. However, the one must be the result of the other. Edification must lead to evangelization, and evangelization must lead or result in edification. It is an ongoing cycle. This is how the church is designed to grow. It grows itself. The true disciples are those who evangelize, win people to Christ, and make them disciple makers as well. The mini church is, first of all, the church gathered. This is when believers meet together for edification. However, the mini church is also designed to be a means of evangelism. I spoke about that today, establishing a good basis. And in fact, is the means by which it grows and multiplies itself, which means that if there is no multiplication, then there's no growth. The mini church simply exists for itself which is not the purpose of the mini-church. If the mini-church simply exists for itself, it's not the purpose. What we're saying here is, is that um, we don't allow, once we have come to a certain number of people, we don't allow other members of Calvary to be a part of that body. The only way you can add new people is if that body win them to Christ. And that's why we encourage people to invite unsaved people to the mini-church. Remember we used the idea of the empty, ch- the empty chair? Who will you bring in in order to cause <clears throat> the church to grow? That's why we say that you just can't join any mini-church that, des- that you want to. Mini-church should only be uh, joined by people that the members of the mini-church lead to Jesus Christ. Now, unfortunately... This has become so sweet to members of the body. In other words, this group, they only want to keep to themselves. They only want to grow. They don't want anybody else to join them. And don't talk about, we had to force a split the other time. And boy, we almost had a real war, world war going on because of that. But you see, that's not the purpose for it, just for us to be ingrown. We have to bring others from outside. That's where evangelism come in. Members will not normally have the opportunity to select the mini-church in which they would like to participate. They will be assigned to a group by the senior pastor in association with the mini-church coordinator. However, a leader has the option to specify individuals whom he would like to have in his mini-church for particular agreed-upon reasons. In other words, suppose you were working with somebody in your workplace or even in the church that you were discipling or working with and you would like for them to continue with that relationship, and you want them to be part of the member of the, your mini-church, then we would allow that to happen because we want that relationship to continue. You understand? 
In many churches designed to grow by members winning or leading others to Christ, either through their own personal ministry or through the corporate ministry of the mini church. And we had some churches who were actually doing things within the community in trying to win people to Christ. Next one. No Christians are to be added to an existing mini church unless approved by the senior pastor and mini church coordinator. New members must be those who are won to Christ by the members. This is where evangelism takes place. Okay. This is the built-in motivation for evangelism and growth as far as the mini church is concerned. When a mini church reaches 20 adult members, it divides into two mini churches of 10 adult members each, one being led by the original leader and the other by the co-leader or by a leader assigned by the senior pastor and mini church coordinator. This allows for both groups to grow and multiply by dividing a grin. This is, we were trying to incorporate the principle of training or mentoring people to be leaders. So if you are a social leader in a mini church, it's expected that when that mini church grows, you will leave your group and you will lead the other group, but you will choose or you will be assigned another member that you are to mentor to take over the same thing. And that's how spiritual growth and leadership is supposed to be developed. That's the concept that the idea, that's the process. But remember, it only works if you do it. No matter how perfect a plan you have, unless you work the plan, the plan is, use, is useless. All right? And most of the time, the reason why we have a problem is because we don't have men and women who are willing to commit themselves for leadership or to be trained for leadership. You'll be a part of the, 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 the whole group in the wagon train, as we say, but they don't want to drive. They don't want to lead. And that's what we need. In other words, the root mini church is 10 to 15 adult members. That's the root. That's where it begins. Pruning for growth. When a mini church reaches 20, it divides again. I call it pruning because that's what it is. It's cutting away for growth to go. Nobody likes pruning, though. But we don't realize that many times, in many situations, growth can only come if you lose certain people or lose certain things. It's a proning that has to take that. People say, oh, no, no, man, you can't lose that person. That person must be loosed, perhaps, in order for the group or the church to grow. Proning is important. That's where that principle comes in at point 20. Then the branch, MC, 10 to 15 members. In other words, you spread out to another group, and you develop the same idea, 10 to 15 again. And you break and you keep going. That's the idea, all right? That's how it grows by division. Two vital questions then for many churches that we have to ask is this. One, what business are you in? Why do we have the many churches? Now, of course, it's for edifications, for building up the body, it's for maturing. But secondly, what is the, how is business? In other words, if we're in the business for developing disciples, how are we doing? What is happening? And we did develop this at this time because, as I said, the many churches did not want to divide. They did not want to add new people. They did not want to be pruned. So what I was saying is then we are not doing business good. We're not making profit in our business because we don't have the returns. All right, Alan? What business did Jesus instruct his disciples to be in? Now, here's the, here's the Great Commission. As you go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son 
and of the Holy Spirit is as you go or as you're going, you are to make disciples. We repeat again, the command is not to go. The command is to make disciples. This is where we have moved the goalposts again. You see, we've, and as a result of that, we are having touchdowns and the wrong goals. Alan? We are in the disciple-making business. That's what Calvary Bible Church is here for, according to the Word of God. Not converts, not professions, but making disciples. Not just to win disciples, but to make disciples. The disciple-makers, I should say. In other words, a true disciple is only a one who is making disciples themselves. We can be talking more about that in the weeks to come. Okay? The mini-church is designed to model this biblical concept. But I talked about the Peter syndrome. You remember when Peter, James, and John went to the Mount of Transfiguration? They saw Jesus and they had such a good time. They didn't want to leave. They wanted to stay with that group. Let me build three tabernacles. One for you, one for me, one for these. They want to keep it in. And that's what happened in many cases with the mini-churches people. They had the mini church syndrome. They just wanted to keep together. You don't grow in that fashion, you see. All right? The members become us focused rather than disciple-making focused. And that's what we want to emphasize. We must focus on disciple-making, not just being satisfied ourselves as far as church is concerned. All right. But let me stop there because we don't need to develop any more of that. You get the idea of the concept though? Again, the whole idea is a relationship, building relationships that lead to evangelism, leading people to Christ, that causes spiritual growth to go on. I say to you again, if this process is followed, if you are faithful as a participant, you will grow towards spiritual maturity. I can guarantee you that. But if you don't become a part of the process, it wouldn't happen. You'll just sit and watch, complain, feel discomforted and everything else. But if you become a part of the process and you're faithful in it, I can guarantee you, you will grow as a true disciple. 